Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello and welcome to Girl on Fire podcast on the Believe Network, New York's number one podcast network for personal growth. This is your host, Kirsten Franklin. On this week's episode, we have with us a former Silicon Valley HR professional who has worked with the likes of Living Social, Google, and SoftBank. She recently turned entrepreneur and coach, as well as startup HR consultant, leveraging her in-depth knowledge and experience to become the founder of Aspire Talent. Now, Aspire Talent is a boutique HR consultancy focused on supporting early-stage venture-backed startups. She herself is actually an ICF certified professional coach and dedicates her time to upskilling underrepresented professionals in corporate America. In particular, she likes coaching women and people of color, and she has a passion for making work and workplaces more impactful and enjoyable all around. And you can actually hear all this kind of stuff from her on her very own podcast, The Find Your Path Podcast. So please welcome Michelle Yu. Welcome, Michelle. Thank you. Excited to be here. Awesome. I know. I love it. Now, you and I have spoken before, but, you know, tell me, you know, in this jumping from the corporate world to startup land all during COVID, like, what do you think has been your biggest challenge so far? Yeah, I like to describe it as jumping out of an airplane with, like, well, we have a parachute, of course, but like, it's just kind of like, you don't know until you actually try it. So, you know, I went to business school, I studied entrepreneurship and you kind of always see it from the sidelines, but until you're actually in the shoes of doing it and doing the work, it's really hard to explain to anyone else what that journey is like. But for me, I think one of the things a friend of mine told me who was an entrepreneur was that it's going to be one of the biggest personal development journeys ever that you'll ever experience. And also most people won't ever be able to relate to it. So I'm about maybe a year and a couple of months post leaving corporate. And I still think that's true. And as I go even deeper into the work, it just becomes even more evident. There's like more things that I have to peel back about myself, but it's been a fun journey. I think if people can handle the ups and the downs and really be introspective, there's so much that you can learn. And it's just, it's a beautiful journey. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. I think that's so true. Like in the sense of, um, you just said, handle the ups and downs. I actually think that's the best part of the journey because you really learn a lot about yourself. You know, your relationships is really going on. You're like, Oh, okay. <laughs> like, so I think that's, right, that's right. a massive change right there. Um, now yeah, I love this aspire talent talent. Tell me what it is. Tell me what it's all about and why, why aspire talent? Why now? Yeah. So my background has been in human resources. I've worked in Silicon Valley for about 10 years, lots of different HR people ops roles. And I'm on, I'm a believer that, you know, work is changing obviously, and that we spend a third of our lives working. So my whole vision is being able to impact people from an individual level and also from an organizational level. So I have that covered on my private coaching practice where I work with individuals one-to-one, but wanting to create bigger change from an organizational systemic level. And that's really what inspired me to start a consultancy because I know a lot of this technical stuff, um, having been on the ground and working at different startups, I know how HR works, but coming in at a lens of how can organizations create 
processes and systems and infrastructure and foundation that allows them to scale and also addresses like what the founder wants, like how the founder wants to create their company. So that's the vision and the mission behind why I started it. It's kind of a blend of being able to take my tactical HR knowledge and like my desire to make impact into the world. And it just kind of fused into this consultancy. Okay. Awesome. Why now? Like, why do you think it's it's important now for, for companies to look to something like Aspire Talent? Yeah. So my demographic of who I work with are very, very early stage startups that are venture backed. And I'm on the belief that the earlier that organizations can start thinking. I'm laughing for a second because like the keyword there is venture backed. Yes. Venture backed. <laughs> or basically, they can afford me. Yeah. Or, or basically any sort of organization, but like specifically venture because I've worked in that space. But yeah, anyone that is really keen on understanding people or wants to scale, like the whole philosophy is like, the sooner they can address these challenges early on, the easier it will be for their organization down the line and building like a consistent culture that um, is proactive instead of reactive and thinking like having founders think about these issues like early on versus like until they happen and then sludging their way through. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Now, I know that there's a part of you that really focuses kind of on, on women and and, you know, women of color specifically, mm-hmm. right? I would like to ask you, like, I, I really kind of want to dive into that. And, you know, first of all, currently, how do you see the landscape for, for women of color right now in the corporate world? I think there's a huge awakening um, over the last year of people shining a light into the importance of diversity and inclusion, more so than in the past. And I'll be honest, in the sessions that I've worked with folks on, it's not been easy. Like they're starting to really have this racial awareness of themselves and start questioning, maybe I was treated a certain way because of my race or because of my ethnicity and gender. And that has been kind of painful for some of my clients um, to actually reconcile and realizing the intersectionality of it. So that's on the individual level. But I also think that from an organizational level, there are companies that are thinking about how to better uplift the voices of their people of color. And it's kind of a mixed bag, right? It's like, we're glad that (laughs) we're glad that it's being brought to attention, but it's also kind of reactive and it's a little bit too late too soon. Um, And there really had to be a catalyst for this to all happen, but at least maybe, you know, I want to say that there's progress being made, that there's conversations being had and it's, it's a time for change. Yeah. So like, let's get real though. Like, let's get real about these conversations. I mean, you know, they're, they're being had and yet less women are being funded, less women of color are being funded yet. We're making up a majority mm-hmm. of those who have started the side business, mom and pop startups, right? Not, you know, not startup startups, like small business startups. Right. And, and even startups, like even us that are building startups, you know, there's all this lip service to women being funded yet our numbers dropped, right. The, the amount of funding to us went, went, went less, so, you know, here's the question, and I think this question might even help somebody in HR who's not even understanding, like, why bother? Like, why is it important that we get a table of diversity? Why is it important that women, uh, men, you know, diverse people even end up at the table? What does it matter? Because I think if people don't understand what that actually brings to your organization, it's all just bullshit. You're just doing it to make yourself look good. And that's never going to be the answer because you're not going to hire the right people. You're going to be pissed off that you hired some like not person who was not meeting the criteria just because you had to fill the spot and you just wanted them to, you know, you wanted to look good. And then you're going to think whatever you're going to think. Right. So, so what is the benefit even of diversity? Why even push for it? 
Yeah, absolutely. That's a hard question to ask because there's, you know, you're going to find studies that show diversity helps from like a bottom line financial perspective. And then you're also going to find articles that debunk that. So I think there's this like, it's like hard to say, but I will say this, and this, this is going to ring true across whatever line of the fence you're on is that you'll just get different perspective and opened perspectives gives like having different people on a boardroom or at the leadership level just opens up a different perspective, which creates value. Like if you think about, you know, wanting to go into a certain market or region, like if you don't even know how these folks think, like how do you expect to go into a new market? And then like a new market will better the bottom line, but it's just this way of being able to access different perspectives. And like, I'll admit that is so hard to do because folks that are so bottom line driven and just all about the money, like they won't want to value it. But and I, I think there's, there's that component of different perspectives will bring value in itself. So, you know, it is, it's certainly a challenge to get people to change and they have to recognize the value in themselves, like this whole DNI effort and so forth. It comes from a very individual level, like organizations that go and say, Hey, now I'm an advocate for like trans lives or LGBTQ folks or like black lives matter or so forth. If they're not actually looking at their own issues or their own deeply seated biases. And if they're not doing the work, then no change can be made. Um, But generally I would say that it's important because, you know, the world is changing. We're much more globalized now and being able to have different people that can sit at the table and share a different perspective is like going to be invaluable for an organization. Yeah. 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 And I mean, there's so much, and it was, it's a, it's a big question because there's so much there from, you know, the history systemic, just what do you see in your everyday Right. And how it all, you know, matriculates up the line from elementary school to high school to colleges to opportunities to what do you see? You know, what are you accustomed to seeing? Right. Like, yeah, there's there's a lot of different things going on there. Um, Now, I know that you have spoken about this in the past, but there is a sort of rise of, you know, like Asian American hate. It's like it cracks me up. I don't know. I'm in New York, so I just I'm like, all right, whatever. Like, you know, like I have my own opinions, but it's yeah. you know, I don't want to talk about the rise of the hate crimes. What I actually want to do is go a little bit beyond the streets and and because you're sort of have your finger on the pulse, like, have you seen any impact in the corporate world? Like, is this bleeding into the inside of organizations, or is this really just like a people are pissed off, they're they're doing their thing and they're taking it out on on just anybody, really. I mean, like, let's just be honest. It happens to be Asian people this time. It'll be somebody else next time. If we can't, you know, level up and vibrate higher, like it's just going to happen. So, so, you know, have you seen it kind of come into, you know, the corporate uh, realm at all? Yeah, absolutely. It's funny because right after the hate crimes happened or like the big massive shooting in Georgia happened, I was invited to speak on panel about this. And one of the sentiments was around what organizations want to do something about it, or there's, you know, a lot of performative action on like, we, we ban Asian hate and so forth. But at that point, it, what became so critical to me was like, you can't separate the two. Like you can't go off the street and say, Hey, don't do this. And then like have the person walk right into the workplace and expect them to be a different person. So I think the biggest thing that came out of that was realizing like, we're all holistic people. Like the change has to happen also like individuals will run the organization. So the change has to happen on an individual level, but like, we can't separate, like we can't separate that once you enter in the workplace, like we don't just become 
you know, all one person or all the same race. Like we're not color neutral the moment you enter into a workplace. And what I found after that was like, especially with the Asian American community, which I identify with, that they're just starting to play that out. And then as painful as it is, and I had to do this for myself, was like really play out the instances instances of when I felt like I was being discriminated against in a very subtle way or starting to think about what are the microaggressions, what are the barriers to access that have to happen. And it's been really, really painful. But I think organizations, the more that they start to realize this and hopefully obviously change doesn't happen right away, but at the more that they can realize this and see like, what does the makeup look like at the senior level? How are they having hiring, promotion, firing decisions? Then that's really where like, as painful as it is, that's really where change can be brought. Yeah. 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 And actually, you know, as you were saying that for some reason, this popped into my head is like, you know, one of the other things that I think we missed on, on really like diversifying the table is because humans are confident. It doesn't matter what color, what race, what gender, it, does, it doesn't fucking matter. There is, they're confident, right? And so we can't know like that we can do that. Like if you don't see a black teacher, a black student might feel like, oh, like that's not my, that's not like, uh, you You see familiarity, right? Like, it, and and that helps in just internalizing for individuals to know that they can be anything and do anything, mm-hmm. right? And so I think that's also another important thing is, you know, it's like, you know, the Roger Bannister effect is going to sound weird to correlate this, but, you know, doctors were like, you can't run a four minute, minute mile. It's like right. impossible for the human body. Then that guy goes, does it. And then everybody in the grandma can do it. Right. Yeah. But it's kind of like the same thing. Like, Oh, women can't be, you know, on the board. All of a sudden there are some, and now we're at least 50% of the board. Right. Yeah. Like, do you know what I mean? Like it takes that. I really think it takes that. Like, you know, how many black men or women do we see at the board? Almost none. How many Asians? I'm going to tell you zero. When I walk in the room, I'm always the first one they've ever had. And that is weird to me. Right. I'm like, you know, at least leverage the racist comments you might make. Like I'm good at math or something. I'm here for a reason. Right. Like, come on, people. Like, how did we not get here earlier? But it's interesting to walk into those rooms and even at my age, like still be the first whether it's women, whether it's Asian, it's whatever. Right. And it's just like, dude, that's just weird, you know, but I, I, I hold a lot of hope. You know, I, I put a lot of my daughter's little generation Xers or whatever she is. I'm like, they just seem to like, you know, it's all good. Like, I don't know. So I'm hoping that when they, when they level up, it's going to be a whole different, a different look. Absolutely. So, so yeah, so that's interesting. And yeah, you can't turn and change people. Like they don't walk through the door and become somebody else. That's really interesting. I never really thought about it like that, right? Here's a question. What do you think that Mm -hmm. people, even in myself, anybody, like what can we do in support of the Asian American community? Educate yourselves. That's really what it comes down to. Like don't ask an Asian person to explain why? Like I got really triggered at the beginning of the whole Asian hate stuff because I had to really explain why it was bothering us and like why Asians are considered <laughs> like colored people. And like, even, you know, there's been so much around the model minority myth that upholds us in our proximity to whiteness, which is super untrue given there's so many different, yeah, right. So, so I had to educate someone on that. And I feel like that is you know, we shouldn't be in a position where we have to educate others, like use our voices to amplify, but the best way is for people to do their own research, to get curious about other people's perspectives and like, learn about it where learn where it comes from, learn about their culture beyond, you know, what their food is like, learn about 
how they got to the U.S. and what their family history was like. So that's the best way people can support. And then once. And everybody's individual, though. Everybody has their own story and perspective. So, you know, you just can't like even, you know, your story is completely different than mine. And our perspective on the Asian community is, mm-hmm. is completely different, right? Just from our own perspectives, right? So that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, I kind of I kind of take it a different way. It's kind of funny because I'm adopted by white people. So, you know, my exposure to my own peeps is a little limited. So I definitely have a difference there. But it's interesting. I, I don't necessarily get annoyed. I find it's my job. If someone's going to be big enough brave enough to approach me. I don't even care if it's like in an asshole way. Like I live in New York, like some douche on the street, like, right. I'm still glad to say like my perspective and to say like, this is just my perspective and, you know, like good for you ask, like, you know, Mm -hmm. cause I kind of feel like, you know, we're at this place where that's where we're at, that people are finally open enough to even ask instead of instead of making shit up in their head. Right. And like, you know, so, so for, for, for me, that doesn't necessarily bother me, you know, and that's just, mm. that's just my, per, that's what, that's how I spin it in my brain to make me good with however you have to ask me, like, if that makes yeah. sense. Right. Yeah. I love that. Like the, the point that you said you were adopted by white people, um, <laughs> white people, <laughs> white German, people. Swedish, British, white people. <laughs> love that. Love that. And I'm like complete opposite. I'm like born into a refugee immigrant family from a very, very Asian community. So we have very different perspectives totally. and I love that. You know, we're both, we both look the same on the outside to a right? certain extent, but we have very different stories. And I think one of the things like tying back to like when I first started my business and why it was so fascinating was like, I started seeing all of this come up for me when I was, when I was starting to go on this journey of like, oh my gosh, there's a lot of survival instinct from being, you know, trauma-based survival instinct from my family's family's upbringing that I had to unshed. And, and then this whole Asian hate thing happened and I'm trying to break waves as like a minority woman. And I think the more people can you know, if you're Asian or if you're from a marginalized community, like recognize that those are the pieces to work through. Um, And that became my own inner work. But anyway, I know I digress. I just got very excited to point that out because I think you're right. People will have different experiences, but depending on like how they're up, they're bringing up and where they were raised. So even from the same house, Mm -hmm. right? Twins. One's always like the happy one. One's always like the sad, miserable one, right? One's like the good one. One's like the evil one. Like, you know, and it's the same, you know, it's, it's our brains. Mm -hmm. It's how our brains work, right? It's just whatever decisions we make in that moment, which totally isn't fair because they're made at a time when we have no frame of reference. And we just decided that this is how it looks. This is how it's going to be. And then all of a sudden everything gets seen through that lens. And, and all of a sudden we have a personality that we think we were born with, which we weren't right. Like we decided that. You know, it's super, super weird. Anyway, totally off the top. All right. (laughs) Love it. Let me ask you this. What do you think at this point in time, you know, is really holding back the diversification of people even being able to make it to the table? Like, do you, are you seeing any really clear things that were like, oh, that's, that's a thing. And that's a thing. And let's work on that. Like anything that you can see. Okay. So this is the first thing that comes to mind is like being able to talk about it and the discomfort it brings to certain groups. Like if certain groups are going to be like, whoa, I don't even want to go there. And they don't even want to acknowledge their own lack of supporting different groups, then that's going to be an area to access. So I think 
the first thing is like, are they willing to talk about it? Are they willing to recognize their own biases? Are they willing to do their own work for themselves? And if they're not, then they're not, no one, it's the, then change isn't ready. <laughs> like no one, they're not yeah. prime for picking. So I would say it really starts off with like doing the deep work themselves. Like you can only transform an organization until that individual is ready to be transformed, especially as a leader. Otherwise it becomes, like you said, very performative and there's just so many deeper roots that it can touch if they're willing to do the work themselves. So now what do we, what do we do when, you know, and this happens so often, I hate to say this because I see this all the time when you have a leader who is really only pushing it because they know they have to because of public view, not because they give a shit about themselves or their own perspective or even their input. They don't care. As long mm-hmm. as they hit that mark and, Oh, we're at 50%. Oh, we're awesome. Right. Like, right. Like what do we, what do we do? I mean, like, you know, like there's nothing we can do. So, so what's the solution, if any, in that, in that instance to help that organization? Mm-hmm. I think there's a couple things there. Like the more people are going to be selfishly driven by their own agenda, right? So if they're, they're checking the box, it makes them feel good that they on the surface have checked that box, but like going back into it, like asking themselves, what is in it for me? Like, really, what is mm-hmm. in it for me to be an ally to a certain group? How does that actually benefit me more than what's on paper than checking the box? Like, how does me investing in someone's career who's out of a different ethnic group or racial group, how does that benefit me? And if they want to take that selfish claim to themselves and like, and that's what's going to be motivating them, then by all means do it. But um, I think it goes beyond just checking that on the paper. And now it's like, um, how, like, how are they progressing down their career? Like, you know, like it benefits them if they're a good mentor figure to somebody who is breaking waves and starting to climb the ranks and getting more visibility than like that person that can say, I took a chance on this person or like I was right. their biggest advocate, then it, it reaps benefits back to them. So I think this is a very, in my mind, it's a very kind of twisted way, but if it's going to incentivize people to actually give a shit, then use that to your advantage. Like really understand what is in it for me and how does that actually benefit by me like supporting someone by being an ally how does that foundationally open more opportunity down the line right right that's a good way to put that that's so good um all right here's some questions what is the best piece of advice you have gotten um you know whether it's in life or or geared towards your your startup right so what's the best piece of advice you've gotten This would have been from a senior level executive that I had a lot of respect for. She told me make quick decisions. Like people, you know, they, they kind of just teeter tatter between different decisions, but like she said, just learn to make quick decisions. And I think that has really stuck with me versus being on the fence. Do I do this? Do I do that? Make a decision, move on, make another decision, move on. So that that's one solid piece of advice. The worst advice that I gotten I don't know if we're there at that question, but one of the worst advice that I gotten was when I was switching from Google, a large company to a startup. And I had to do an interview with one of the managers there about why I was leaving. And the advice was, don't go. You're making a terrible mistake for your career. <laughs> and this person <laughs> yeah, had the audacity to tell me this. And I was like, obviously early on in my career, I was just saying that I was making a terrible decision. Turns out it was one of the best decisions, but I'll tell you why it was a, 
it was bad advice. And why I realized it down the line is like, people will have their own biases. They'll have their own filters of how they see things. And just because maybe this person felt insecure in themselves that they wouldn't be able to do that, definitely projected onto me. So it was bad advice, but in retrospect, it became a good, good learning opportunity and learning experience for me. That's awesome. So yeah, I just want to touch upon something, you know, it's so funny because you are talking about having this conversation, you know, and I don't know what your thoughts are, but I find that at least in this country and at least kind of, I don't know if it's, you know, countrywide, I can definitely speak towards the Northeast for some reason. It's like, we're so busy trying to not offend each other instead of learning. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I, and again, that goes back to my philosophy that any question is a good question. If you're, if you're, if you're asking it, right. Cause I don't believe in, in bad questions. I don't believe in offensive questions. Like I, yes, you might have actually even intended to offend me with that question, but I can take that opportunity to educate you. Right. Mm-hmm. And if it's not you, it's gotta be 17 people listening around us. Cause it's New York city. Right. So like, you know, what's, you know, do you find that there is difficulty in just having the conversation because nobody wants to step on toes. Nobody wants to look like the bad guy. Nobody wants to ask the racist question and look, be looked at as a racist or something when it's just a question, right? Have you found that as well? I think that's just general good advice is like approaching everything with curiosity. Like, where did that question come from? Like, I really want to know where that person is coming from versus like seeing it as an attack and seeing it as a personal trigger. And you're so right though. There is sensitivity around race and being able to bring up certain questions. But I think even if there's, if they're not sure about how to ask it, it's like, even as simple as like, can I ask this? Like, are you open to talking about it and teeing that up before like throwing a very deep question at them? Right. It's like, can I even go there? Are you going to allow me space? to? But it never happens like that. It's just a random question, like way into the deep. You're like, Oh, okay. Yes. (laughs) There's a lot of, and it's always like a lot of assumptions in that question. Like, I love like, because you're Chinese American, mm-hmm. I'm Korean American, right? I was born in Seoul, Korea, but you know, I'll get, I'll get random questions about Chinese people. Cause apparently we're all just Chinese. Right. And I'm just like, Hmm, there's so much in that. Like, hmm. <laughs> like so many assumptions made there. Yeah. Right. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah it's interesting. that they, And why does that, I wonder why, I wonder if I do that. Like, see, it makes me like, like, like I wonder what I ask questions. If I even preface them with like, Hmm, is it cool if I ask you this? Like, I don't think I do that. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's one of the things that I started practicing more, especially around like delivery, delivering feedback is like, oh, are you open to feedback or are you open if I like, can I ask you a question and teeing that up? And like, I've just been more sensitive around doing that so that people know I'm not just going to drop a bomb on them to get offended. And I think that's been working pretty well. So uh, (laughs) yeah, I think it's been working pretty well. I love it. I love it. All right. What's the last thing that you would like to leave our listeners with? What's a big point that you want them to walk away with? Don't be afraid to do the work, the inner work. I mean, so a lot of people go around life just trying to suppress their problems or finding distractions. And I'm a big believer that you have to walk through the fire and you have to confront it because it's painful, but it's worth it. And I've have a very personal experience in, in having to do the work and like thinking, throwing money at things or thinking that going through the motion would really solve it. But in being really honest yeah. with oneself, it's like really do the hard work that you've been avoiding. Yeah, that's really good. That's really good. Well, you heard it here. 
Uh, thank you, Michelle, for being with us. We are going to have the links to your podcast and social media for those who want to follow you. And is there a preferred method for those who want to reach out and get in touch with you? Yeah, connect with me on Instagram. That's probably the best way. My handle is at MKYU Coaching and stay tuned for more content there. All right. Awesome. Love it. Thank you so much. Thanks. So that is it for this week. Thank you for joining me. And I hope that you enjoyed today's show. If so, don't forget to rate it. If you guys have a pressing question, feel free to tweet me at CS Thrive or on Instagram at Thrive Tribe 3.14159. Again, I know that's a weird one. It's just pi. So it's three, it's Thrive underscore Tribe underscore 3.14159. Or of course, you can join me in Facebook at my free group, which is Thrive Tribe Global. If you just search groups and you enter in Thrive Tribe Global, you should see us there and you can join it for free. I answer your questions in there. But if you guys send me a question through there, I will be sure to answer it here on this podcast. And as always, if you're ever interested in advertising on the show, please contact the Believe Network at Believe, B-L-E-A-V, at Believe.com. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.